Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. And so when it comes to these practices, those, uh, these disciplines, um, our aim isn't to get you to just fall into some kind of formulated routine to be better Christians, right? We're not just trying to be better than the Christians over at Restoration or at Centerpoint or, you know, the Anglican church across the street. We're not trying to somehow get Christian plus points by reading the Bible more or spending more time in prayer and, you know, elevating our status here. Our desire is for you, and I'm including myself in this, to grow closer to God uh, and to actually look and live like Jesus. The mark of spiritual maturity, and I say this uh, quite frequently, but this is, this is true, that the mark of spiritual maturity is that you would produce fruit in accordance with what God has done in your life. John 15 utilizes this language of abiding or remaining in Jesus in Christ, in his love, and in his word. And so our aim is to abide or to remain. And nothing is more devastating to me than seeing people begin this journey of faith, begin to follow Jesus, and a few months down the road, or even years, sometimes even decades, unhitch themselves from this truth and start going a different direction. I'm not really interested in a bunch of people coming to Jesus. I, I love that aspect because that's important. That's a first step. But, but my aim and my goal as a pastor, my heartbeat, is that we would remain and that we would, re- we would remain and that we would abide in Jesus for the long haul. That it would be a resting place for us because it's in that place that we produce fruit. It's in that place that we see consistency come forth. And so my hope isn't that you would just come to Jesus, but that you would remain, that you would abide, and that you'd be connected to the vine in such a way that you'd produce much fruit. This language I'm using is coming from John 15. And so John 15 verses 5 through 8 says this, I am the vine you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, and this is Jesus saying this, he he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified and you bear much fruit so will you be my disciples. John would go on to say this uh, later in another letter that he wrote in 1 John 2.6. He says this, he says, He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. And so that's our our goal. That's what we're looking forward to. That, That is what we're trying to accomplish here is we want to walk like Jesus walked. We're not just trying to be better versions of ourselves. We're not trying to become Adam 2.0. I'm not trying to become the best version of Nate Ward that could possibly exist. I'm not just trying to refine my character flaws and really just become a better person. I want to look and live like Jesus 
looked. I want to live like Jesus lived. I want to walk like Jesus walked. I want to do the things that Jesus did. And that is what he says. He who says he abides in Jesus ought himself to walk just as he walked. The New Living Translation, I believe, says live like Jesus lived. And so if we're going to do that, we're going to have to do the things that Jesus did, right? Jesus did a lot of things, right? We, we know that they're, they're, they're all over the scriptures. We have four gospel accounts of all the different things that Jesus get, did. But there was one thing that stands out among the rest, at least to me. And that was that God himself, Jesus, prayed. This is, this is, a, this is a, an interesting thing for me to really begin to wrap my mind around and think about, and especially when it comes to this spiritual discipline of prayer, as we begin to talk about it, as we can begin to explore it as a congregation, because the topic of prayer is one that we could uh, literally stay on probably from here until Jesus comes back and have uh, a sermon series that's never-ending. And uh, I was just expressing this morning in our pre-service time of prayer how there are so many different topics, there's so many different ways that we could approach this segment of teaching a spiritual discipline on prayer because there's so many different aspects to it. And it's of vital importance to the life of every believer. And so my, my prayer to you, and my, my, my prayer this morning for you, not my prayer to you, I wasn't like praying to you guys, you guys get what I'm saying? <laughs> Ooh, don't get off on a tangent now. My prayer for us this morning is that regardless of where you are on your journey of following Jesus, whether you've been following him for 20 years or if you're pretty new to this whole Christianity thing, is that you wouldn't check out and just feel like, you know what, I know everything there is to know about prayer. I've spent a lot of time in prayer. I've been there. I've done that. I know what to do. I believe that prayer is something that we can always grow in. And I, I believe that it, this is something that we can always, uh, <laughs> that we can always mature in is in the place of prayer. It's not something that we just finally uh, arrive at. There are guys that have written books on the subject, and they're not the end-all, be-all. They've not discovered the perfect formula. And guess what? My prayer life is going to look different than what it looks like for you to have a prayer life. Um, and my season of life that I'm in right now looks vastly different than it did when I was 20 years old. And so it's really hard to provide an all-encompassing um, framework of what prayer is and how to grow in it and what it looks like um, because it's going to be different for each individual purpose, for each individual person. But there are aspects, and that's what we're going to hit on, that I believe need to be implemented into the life of every follower of Jesus if they're going to be successful for the long haul. And so we're going to begin to talk about those. We're going to look at those this morning. And so you're probably thinking, you know, what kind of church am I in? You know, last week they told me I need to read the Bible. This week they're telling me I need to pray. This is stuff that we learned when, like, we were five or six years old, right? This is pretty elementary. This is pretty basic stuff. Um, Pastor, when are you going to teach me like the Greek and the Hebrew? And uh, <laughs> when are we going to go into the deep, mysterious things of God? And I just want to remind you, and I, I think I've probably said this prob more than anything else, but that spiritual maturity is, uh, is often defined, or maybe I should just read it. I've said it so many times. 
that uh, I'm going to butcher it when I try to say it, but I, I say this, that spiritual maturity is defined by the consistent application of these elementary practices. And so if we can nail these simple things of reading the Bible, of being in the Word of God, of, uh, of spending time in prayer and talking and conversating with God, if we can, if we can tackle these things, if we can, if we can get an A+, in these, everything else is going to come naturally. They're going to, um, anyway, you guys get what I'm saying. And so, I, I'll make this disclaimer. This disclaimer? Disclaimer. I will make this dis. Guys, this is what a lack of sleep will do. Red Mountain was so much fun. And we had all the fun in the world as we encountered the Lord and we... Uh, went jeeping and almost driving off of cliffs and all the fun stuff. <laughs> um, but there's one thing that just seems to evade us all when we're there is that uh, nobody sleeps super well. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Nobody, nobody is like, <laughs> maybe that's the problem. We're all exhausted and we're tired from our retreat this last week. But uh, <laughs> Back to this. this. This morning's teaching, what I'm, what I'm trying to do this morning, it's not meant to be exhaustive. And so if you're like, man, I wish Pastor Nate would have really addressed this question that I have about prayer, please feel free to ask me. And we're going to spend a number of weeks covering the various topics and aspects of prayer and how to implement them in practical ways. And my, my hope is at the end of these next few weeks that you'd be able to step away from this with a greater understanding of what prayer actually is. But moreover than any of that is I want you to be praying people. I want people to know that our church is a praying church because I believe that the, the center of everything that God wants to accomplish with his people, especially in this hour of history, is going to be birthed in the place of prayer. If you look at any major uh, revival, if you look at any mighty moving of God throughout history, you'll see it begins in the place of prayer. It's something that Jesus models. It's something that we have to latch into. And I believe with everything inside of me that prayer changes things. And so this morning is simply to serve as an introduction, a launching point into the depths of this topic of prayer. And so I think a helpful place to start when we're looking at all these things is with definitions, right? So we're going to talk about prayer. I think we need to define what actually is prayer. And I think there's a gross misunderstanding in the church today uh, regarding what prayer actually is. And so I want to make the statement that prayer is more than just asking God to do something. I think it's easy to fall into that mindset. Some people treat uh, prayer as like a a means to just get an edge on life, if you will, to get some leverage and get the upper hand, uh, this sort of thinking will leave you disappointed. I, I want you to understand this because unanswered prayer is a real thing. How many of you guys have ever prayed for something and it didn't happen? Awesome. I know that I prayed for this girl in uh, high school to become my wife and it didn't happen. I just, can we take a moment to thank God for unanswered prayer? Yes. 
man, I am so thankful he didn't answer. Well, he did. He just said no. But uh, <laughs> we tr- sometimes treat prayer as like this genie bottle mentality that we're just going to ask for these things to get what we want. And that isn't how prayer works. God doesn't always move the way that we think he should or even how we hope that he should. Prime example of this is uh, we were up at the Flaws house on Red Mountain. We had a fantastic time. God moved. uh, Had uh, just a lot of testimonies and conversations with people about what God was doing in their lives and was really just blessed by that time. But there was one particular thing that I left Red Mountain with with just kind of a weight and a heaviness in my soul. And that is that uh, I could not beat Cooper at foosball. (laughs) Cooper's in the back there, and he's like, please don't use me as an example in your sermon on Sunday. How many times did I play you at foosball? 22. At least. (laughs) At least. If you know anything about me, I don't like losing. Like, at all. I, I... And the problem with me and my competitive nature is the fact that I'm competitive in things that I'm not really naturally good at. (laughs) And so it eats away at me. And uh, I think we played, I think 22 was a conservative number. But I remember praying (laughs) that God would bless my hands (laughs) to really just teach you a lesson in humility. Not necessarily... Not necessarily to, you know, that I would win or anything like that, but I just, I feel like it's unfair. There might be some witchcraft or wizardry going on there. I'm not entirely sure, but he's just insanely good at foosball, and it's driving me insane. But I'm not the first person to pray that you would lose at foosball. There There are other men of God. We have people here in this room that would pray for that. God didn't answer that prayer. And I don't know why, I might pin a psalm later, asking God, why have you forsaken me? (laughs) But we can't just treat God as this kind of cosmic genie to get what we want. And that's not what prayer and the essence of prayer is all about. I think we might have these ideas that pop into our head when we're talking about prayer. I remember being in high school and praying before a math test, God, please give me the answers that I didn't study for in order to pass this class. And uh, graciously, I did pass that class, and I don't really understand why God would answer those prayers and not other prayers. And it leaves this conversation for us to have regarding why are prayers answered? Why are they not answered? What exactly is the purpose of prayer? And uh, I'm excited to talk about this. I'm, I'm really excited to dig into this topic because some of you, when I mention prayer, you might think of maybe it's that thing that Pastor Nate does to open up the service. Maybe it's when they have an altar call and people come and kneel down here at the front. Maybe it was that thing that you did when you invited Jesus into your life. Maybe you do it before mealtimes. Maybe you do it before bed. Maybe it's something that you have really no concept of. Maybe you hear us talking about prayer meetings on Wednesday night and you, you come from maybe a charismatic background and you automatically think of you know uh, the International House of Prayer and, and you have to have worship teams. And there's probably all of these different thoughts that come into your mind and with all of you being different people, they're different thoughts when I mention this idea of prayer. So I want to bring us together 
and talk about it from a basic standpoint. We're going to expound upon it over the next couple of weeks. And then we're also going to put it into practice. I, I have more homework for you. Oh, one person was like excited about that. Um, I know that I gave some homework last week. I've got some more homework this week. I, and it's not this place where I just want to make sure you're, you know, doing and listening and, and tracking with me. My goal and my aim is really that I want us to be people that put these disciplines into practice because I cherish your relationship with God. And I want you to cherish it as well. And so I think many people make... The, the mistake of confusing intercession with prayer. Intercession meaning that we ask God to do something. We ask God to intervene. We ask God to, to, to provide or do something or, or make something happen. Like I was interceding for God to, 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 to supernaturally give me the foosball skills to, to humble Cooper. That didn't happen. <laughs> but I, I want you to understand this. Intercession is a part of prayer, but it's as much of a part of prayer like addition is a part of math, right? Uh, it would be, it's true that addition is a part of math, but it would be um, foolish to say that addition is math, right? <laughs> it, 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 meaning that it is encompassing all of arithmetic. While addition is an facet or an aspect of mathematics, we have other things like addition and subtraction and multiplication and the exponents and things that I'm trying to pull out things from 20 years ago and I'm failing miserably. You guys are tracking with me though, right? It's not all encompassing. And I want us to approach prayer as a topic, as a spiritual discipline with this mentality. I don't want us, when you hear me use the word prayer to simply think about asking God for something because it most certainly encompasses asking God for help, asking God to move, asking God for things, but that's not the end all definition of what prayer is. There's other things, just like there's other things in arithmetic, like those things that I just mentioned. Uh, the same is true for prayer. You know, we have uh, things like worship and thanksgiving and confession and listening that all kind of play a part into what prayer is for the follower of Jesus. So prayer is, first and foremost, a conversation with our Father. And uh, I, I want you to, to follow with me as, as we go down this road. That is the definition of what I'm using to, to really kind of lean into prayer as a spiritual discipline. It's simply how we communicate with God. It's a conversation that we have. And I, I use that language intentionally, a conversation, because um, have you ever been around somebody that just talks a lot and you can never get a word in edgewise and, and, and you leave the conversation realizing, man, I listened to them talk for 30 minutes, but I maybe said two words. <laughs> um, we've all been around people like that. I hope I'm not that person, but sometimes I am. Um, I think we can treat God that way as well. I don't want us to. I want us to understand that it's a two-way conversation. Um, when we're in prayer with the Father, that we speak, but we also have to listen. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm excited for But Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. 
This is a, a common verse of scripture that many of us might have been familiar with, we might have read. Um, and we can interpret this verse as saying, if you focus enough on enjoying God, that he's going to give you whatever you want. That, man, if I enjoy God enough, he's going to give me a Jeep with brakes that work. Um, you know, you can understand it to mean that if you take delight in God, that he's going to give you whatever you want. Maybe the spouse of your dreams or the money in your bank account or, or you know, whatever. Inserts the thing that you want most here. Um, or you can look at it from this approach. And I think this is the way that we need to view it. Um, is that if we truly delight ourselves in the Lord over and above everything else in our life, that he's going to shape our heart so it wants the things that he already wants to give you. His desires will become your desires. And so the simplest definition that I can offer up to us when we're talking about prayer is something that you've probably already heard me say, but it's conversating with God. It's talking with God. And it's an important aspect of that conversation that does include asking. Because we do need to ask for help. And I know when my kids are uh, needing to do something, one of the things that I continually kind of reference is, um, guys, just ask me for help. I, as a father, want to help you with the things that you're struggling with. And, you know, they're often making a mess and they're trying to, like, pour their own cereal or get their own messy food out of the fridge or something like that. I'm just, hey, buddy, just, just ask me for help. I want to help you. <laughs> and uh, the, the truth is that is how God views us. He wants to help us and he loves it when we ask for help. I just believe that we do a disservice to God when we begin to think that that's all prayer is about. Does that make sense? And so let's talk about why we pray. And so um, the first thing that I, I, I would like to kind of emphasize here and why do we pray, um, Scripture instructs us to do it and Jesus expects us to do it. I think that that is a, a sufficient enough answer for anyone on why we ought to pray, but uh, Paul would tell us in Colossians 4, he, he would tell us in verse 2 that we would be to, he instructs us to devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and with a thankful heart. You see, prayer is something that we need to do intentionally, not just haphazardly, not just something that kind of happens, but we see here there's an intentionality about it. And it's important that we do so with the right motivation. And so I, I think when we read this, to devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart, it's something that we need to take seriously. The expectation of Scripture is that we would be praying, and that's why Jesus uses the words, when you pray, pray like this. Instead of, if you pray, um, he expects us to pray. And... Uh, there's so many different examples of scripture that we could use for that. But I think one of the most profound reasons why we ought to pray is if we look at the life of Jesus, who as a man walked with God intimately. Nobody's going to deny that. He had, 
uh, the best relationship that you could possibly have with God the Father. But I believe that he had a relationship with God the Father like we can have a relationship with God the Father. And I believe a primary reason that his relationship was as close-knit as it was was because he spent time in consistent prayer. Just look at these things. Uh, look at Luke 5, 16. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you a handful of different uh, references of the times that Jesus spent in prayer. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was still there alone. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 6.12 Luke 6, says, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Matthew 26, um, verses 36 through 39 says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed. John 17, in fact, the entirety of John 17 is this explicit chapter uh, referenced as the high priestly prayer where God, Jesus is praying for himself and he's praying for his followers. Um, and so I, I think a, a really simple answer to the question of why do we pray is that Jesus prayed. <laughs> And if we want to look like Jesus, we ought to do the things that Jesus did. Should we not? And so, I'll pose this question to you. If Jesus, the Son of God, perfection, incarnate, needed to spend time in prayer to sustain his relationship with the Father, how much more should we heed his example? Uh, I believe it's a lifeline. I believe it's a connecting point. I believe it's something that we have to implement. And I think the, the final reason here that I'd give to why should we pray um, comes from an answer that I gave in ministry school. I was a young punk kid, and still kind of am, but uh, we were going around the room and we were having this discussion and there were really good theological answers that people were sharing with one another on answering this question, why do we pray? And it eventually got around to me. It's like, Nate, why, why should we pray? You like to pray. Like, why, why should we pray? I said, I, I don't know, man. It, it works. <laughs> that was like the best answer that I could come up with uh, in the moment. And for whatever reason, that's kind of been branded in my mind because I know that in this room, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of testimonies to answered prayer of how God has moved, of how God has actually done something uh, when we've spent time in prayer. And I'm talking about intercession here. I'm talking about actually asking him to do something. Um, and it's something that I know that we don't have time to really exhaust here this morning because we, we see God answer prayers all the time. Um, and I, I put a little note in here to share some stories of answered prayer. Um, and, uh, I, I want to, but I think I'd be doing a disservice if I did that right now because I have the rest of my message to get to. <laughs> Jesus help me.
God, God answers prayer. And I, I, I'm sorry, I apologize for that. Uh, and now I'm apologizing for apologizing. <laughs> yeah. You guys get what I'm saying. I don't need to backtrack there, but. So how do we pray? It's a, that's a loaded question because it looks different for a lot of different people. Some of you guys are really loud and exuberant. You might be like me. You like to walk around when you pray. Some of you might like to kneel. Some of you like to go outside. Some of you like to go inside. Uh, I, I, I'm not trying to give you a formula this morning of replicating me and my prayer life. And that's something that I'm fighting hard to do as we talk about all these different spiritual disciplines, is I'm reaching out to people that are not me, that are in different seasons and areas of life, that come from a different background than I even come from to give you a well-rounded approach to these topics and these disciplines. Because I think that there are some core things that need to remain the core things, but there are some things that are going to be based upon your personality. The important thing is that we would actually spend time in prayer because there are wrong ways to pray. There, there really are. And we're going to look at some of those, but there are right ways to do it too. But there's a lot of room for personal preference. And so this isn't a question I'm going to be able to effectively answer in just this sermon. It is a practice that takes a lifetime to learn. And there's no one person that has figured it out the perfect way to, to pray right forever. <laughs> I believe it's something that we continually grow in. And uh, I just want to offer a few thoughts on the subject. And we're going to flesh this out over the next couple of weeks. But the number one thing that I want to think about and I want to highlight when it comes to praying, when it comes to spending time with God and having an intentional conversation with him, is that you have to be honest. I realize that sounds weird. Uh, I realize that maybe sounds like a duh kind of thing to say, but I think a lot of the times we come and we use eloquent language and, you know, we're trying to present and maybe put our best foot forward and maybe offer up a version of ourselves that isn't authentic before the Lord when we come to him in prayer. And uh, I want to be... I want to be sensitive here, but... You know, we're, we're not just bringing God a list of requests or this, you know, sanitized, pious version of ourselves. I believe that prayer is most effective when we bring our whole and vulnerable selves to him in prayer. And uh, you guys know that I gave some homework last week and one of my desires was that we would really develop this passion for the word of God that we would spend time in Psalm 119 and pray. Uh, I asked you guys to, to kind of read through Psalm 119 throughout the week and really pray that the Lord would give you a passion for his word. And something that you may not be familiar with is that the book of Psalms is often referred to as Israel's prayer journal. And it's, uh, a lot of Psalms are compiled by uh, David, but there's a lot of different voices that are referenced here in the Psalms. And they're effectively prayers that have been written down. And if you read a lot of the prayers of David, you're like, man, this dude 
was depressed or he was bipolar and he needs some help. But one of the things that the psalmist continually does is he's honest with how he feels before the Lord. He's not trying to hide or pretend to be better than he actually is. And that is something that I believe that, especially in our mentality, because I think we're really bad at, at this as church people. You know, if you ask somebody how they're doing, it's always, oh yeah, I'm good. Blessed brother, how are you? Um, but especially when it comes to prayer, it's a place where we don't need to have a mask and God's not intimidated with your emotions. God's not intimidated with how you feel or the struggles or the doubts that you may have. If anything, he wants you to come to him and voice those to him clearly and transparently. But I, I love how brutally honest the psalmist is when he approaches the Lord. And I wanted to give you some examples here because in Psalm 10.1, it says this, Why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? You, you, you see the, the psalmist here feels like he's far from God, feels like God is hiding himself. And, and you read in Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus would quote these words on the cross. And he'd say, Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I am not silent. psalmist feels like God doesn't hear him. Feels like his prayers are falling upon deaf ears. And I can tell you from scripture that that's not the case, but sometimes it feels that way. And if it does, don't be ashamed to the place where you don't bring these concerns to the Lord. I think a lot of the times when we're not well, and we're not in a good place spiritually, and we're not healthy God is the last person we want to turn to because we know that he's going to actually do something about our condition. We want to go to friends. We want to go to people that will kind of affirm us and pat us on the back. But if there is something wrong, there is no better place to go to than the, the arms of a loving father who will tell you what you need to hear. <laughs> Maybe not what you want to hear, but he will 100% of the time. I believe, respond to a genuine, transparent, broken heart. Psalm 42, 5 says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And we see this kind of roller coaster ride. If you read the other Psalms of David, and you'll see them go up and down. You'll see him one moment praising the Lord, and the next moment questioning uh, questioning God's response or why he's delaying. And I, I think there's just something helpful about approaching God with an honest heart. These are just a few examples. But the psalmist doesn't simply worship and pray what they assume God wants to hear. And I think that that's something that we can fall into a mentality of doing is that we'll tell God what we think he wants to hear rather than what actually is taking place in our souls. I love the Psalms because they're honest, they're vulnerable. Prayer is not the time to pretend because God sees you as you actually are. And he wants you to be honest when you speak to him. So I realize that's a, probably a, a duh, uh, maybe it's an aha moment for somebody 
but I think it's an important place to start when we're having this conversation about prayer, the importance of it in our life and how we practice it daily. Because if I told you just to go recite some stuff on a consistent basis and it wasn't honest, it's not going to help. I love the first prayer of the disciples recorded in scripture and it's found in Luke 11 verse 1 and it's actually the disciples praying. (laughs) I like to say praying because they're asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so if you don't know how to pray, I think the best way to do this is to simply ask God to teach you how to pray. (laughs) And this is what, what happens. It says, now it came to pass... This says in Luke 11, verse 1, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he goes into this discourse, and he offers something called the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Something, it might be how you've referenced it, or maybe the model prayer. And um, We're going to look at it, though, but we're going to look at it from Matthew chapter 6. You guys want to turn with me there. I'm going to begin reading in five because Jesus begins to give this dialogue on prayer. Remind you, this is just an introduction this morning, but I'm excited to dig into this topic. But verse five, it says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they will have their reward. Now, Friends, this isn't prohibiting public prayer. Jesus prayed in public quite a few times. We have references of that. Um, But this is saying that if your heart behind prayer is to appear spiritual to those around you, um, that's just going to, you're going to get your reward in full there. You know, you're going to get their pat on the back and that's it. But he goes on, he says, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father, father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so this is where some language comes forth uh, that's kind of popular about a prayer closet. Um, of a place where you can go and spend time alone with God. We're going to talk about that. I think it's a beautiful place for us to combine these spiritual disciplines of prayer and the word and fasting all together and, and, and really look at what that means. Some people refer to it as a quiet time or a devotional life. And we're going to talk about some practical aspects with those things. But uh, this isn't saying that the only time you need to pray or the only time you can pray is when no one's around. I hope you guys can understand that. Um, But he does give instruction here to combat the nonsense that was taking place with the Pharisees. In verse 7 it says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is is something that I think is... um, important for us to grasp because it's not, prayer doesn't have to be elaborate for it to be good. (laughs) And if anybody is rating your prayers, I I know a lot of the times people tell me, you know, I'm just not very good at praying. It's like, you're pretty good at talking to me, so you can be pretty good at praying. 
God's language isn't reserved in just these and thou's. Do we understand that? I know some of us have read King James version of scripture forever. And we maybe even when we pray, we take on a different cadence or a different language. But the simplest idea behind prayer is that it would just be a natural conversation with you and the Father. And I want you guys to, um, I want you guys to receive that, that prayer is okay even if it's simple. Some of the most powerful prayers that I think that I have prayed have been one or two words. <laughs> I think I've been in a place where I said, God help. <laughs> and I, all I could do was cry. And he knows what we need before we even ask him. In fact, that's what verse 8 says. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. And again, friends, this isn't prohibiting long prayers. If you read the scriptures, there are plenty of long prayers in scripture. But don't be long for the sake of being long, and don't be eloquent for the, just the sake of being eloquent. You can pray to God like you would talk to any other person. Well, some of you talk pretty rough to people, so maybe don't do that, but it can be natural. But he gives this instruction in verse 9. He says, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we, forget our, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Something that I've heard recited before football games. I've heard, I heard some of you even whispering it there while I was reading, and I think there's something powerful even in praying this prayer verbatim. I don't necessarily think that that's what Jesus was getting at, was saying just recite this when you pray. I think he was laying out a model for us for when we spend time with the Lord that encompasses aspects of worship that encompasses aspects of prayer for intercession and prayer for protection and confession of sins. I've done a, a series of teaching on this. It was a little over a year ago when we walked through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and we, we really delved into this topic of the Lord's Prayer. And I think those are still on our website somewhere, right? They're up there, up there, right? They don't disappear. Um, you guys could do that. But I'm going to ask Betty Joe, and Jeff Everybody say, yay, homework. And I, I hope I printed out enough. If I didn't, we can print out more. Um, but I borrowed some of this. I kind of formatted it and tweaked it. Um, some of this came from Church of the Highlands. They had a, a Lord's Prayer Guide, and I liked uh, the things that were in it. And so they had it available for free, and I, I kind of just formatted it and wanted to give something practical to put in your guys' hands as we start this discussion, as we jump into this idea of implementing prayer as a spiritual practice on a consistent basis. Some of you guys are already there. Some of you guys pray every day. Some of you guys pray multiple times a day. Some of you guys don't really even maybe know what prayer is. I think that this is a great place to start. Um, and I have more practical tips and things to, to kind of jump into and I'm excited to kind of formulate some of those things over the next couple of weeks and hopefully give you some, some practical advice to implement into your life for more prayer. But 
to pray more. And I think this might be a record for the number of times I've stumbled over my words, but we're good. <laughs> um, in here is something that I just wanted to resource you with um, throughout the week. Much like I gave you last week, uh, a handout where you could walk through Psalm 119 to spend time in prayer and, and really develop and cultivate a passion for the Word of God. Um, I don't want you to stop spending time in the Word just because I didn't give you a handout like that this week. This one kind of will, will go in conjunction with that. If you're not... Um, if you were not here last week and you're like, man, what's Pastor Nate talking about? We still have those handouts at the back of the church. Um, but I think this is a great supplement to what you're already doing. And if you're not doing anything, this is a great place to start. Um, this will walk you through the Lord's Prayer. And it walks you through the different passages. And it, it's pretty cool. It's got the seven Ps to guide you through the Lord's Prayer. In praying for, uh, in beginning with praise, and um, I would like—I just ask you guys to read through this, look through this, and let it serve as a guide for spending time with God in prayer. And it doesn't have to be long; it doesn't have to be drawn out; it doesn't have to be crazy extensive. Um, but my challenge to you this week is that you would try to spend ten more minutes in prayer than you're currently doing right now. So for some of you, you'd be like, well, I'm going to spend 10 minutes in prayer this week. Maybe some of you are going to spend six hours in 10 minutes in prayer. I don't know, but I think 10 minutes is an acceptable goal. It's something practical and obtainable by anyone, regardless of where you are in your season of life and your kind of busyness and your hectic schedule. And I would encourage you to begin with the Lord's Prayer. In reading what we read in Matthew chapter 6, you could read it in Luke 11 if you want to. Matthew chapter 6 is a little longer. Um, praying that and maybe walking through this as a guide um, and spending some time with having an honest conversation with the Lord. Does that make sense? I'm going to pray for us this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.